This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12 this morning. And I want you to read with me. We'll read in verse number 27 down through verse number 32. The last several Sunday mornings we've been looking at the phrase, Fear not. This morning I want to look at another time that this is mentioned, but this time it's not from the lips of David, and it's not from the lips of Moses, but it's from the lips of the lovely Lord Jesus. And I want to give to you something this morning, and I want you to look me in the eyes and hear what I'm saying. It's all going to be okay. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's all going to be all right. The book of Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 27. The Lord Jesus says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil, they, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O ye of little faith? How many of you feel like that is the story of your life, that phrase, O ye of little faith? Every time I get through something, I look back on what I just went through and I say, O ye of little faith. Every time I fight a battle, I look back and I, I see, O oh, ye of little faith. Every time God instructs you to do something, go talk to somebody about Jesus, do something, give a certain amount of money, and you, you start arguing with God on how you can't do it, how you can't accomplish it. And then when you finally step out in faith and you finally do it, you look back at the victory God gives you and you say, O oh, ye of little faith. Watch what he says in verse number 29. And seek not what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink. Neither be ye of a doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let me read it again just so you don't forget it. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Heavenly Father, loose my mouth. Open my mind, fill my heart, let me glow like Moses did when he came down from the top of Sinai. God, I pray that you will fill your people with strength. Fill them, God, with encouragement. And I pray that today would be the glad day that they would walk out saying, I know that I've heard from God. And I pray, Lord, that it would come straight from the bread oven of heaven. And I'll give you praise and glory, for it's in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen and amen. 
The Gospel of Luke is an interesting book trying to decipher because Luke is not what you and I would refer to in the teaching aspect in a chronological order. Because whenever you read the book of Luke chapter number 12, there are different teachings here that when we read other books synonymously, those teachings follow a timeline of Jesus' life, yet Luke kindly throws those teachings scattered throughout the life of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. You're finding here in Luke chapter number 12, Luke in the chronology of Jesus' life, the timeline of Jesus' life, he's toward the end of his earthly ministry. Yet the passage that we just read, what he just said, is something that Jesus said at the beginning of his earthly ministry. You read this passage and you'll find that this phrase, this, this teaching where Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you, that is actually something that was spoken during the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was at the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And so you take that and you set the, the scene of where Jesus is. He's on top of the Mount of Beatitudes. And he sat down probably what we estimate to be anywhere from 25 to 55,000 people have gathered there on that Galilean hillside. And they've tuned their ears to the Lamb of God as he opened up his mouth and he spoke speaks the blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they which mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he gets on down into the teaching. And he comes to our passage, and he looks at them, and he points over to a lily. And he says, now I want you to consider that lily. That lily right there, it doesn't spin, it doesn't toil, that thing does not do anything to deserve the glory and the presence of God. Yet that right there, that lily, that flower, that thing growing in the field right there that's going to be here today and die tomorrow, it is more beautiful than Solomon in all of its glory. Yet God takes care of that lily, that does nothing and it's going to die tomorrow and you don't think that God is not caring for you and you do not think that you being the creature and the creation and made in the image of God are not more beautiful and more cared for than all of the flowers of the field. This is basically the King Tyler version. If he takes care of that, he going to show enough take care of you. That's what it means. If he's going to help that lily, he's going to help you. He looks up and he says, consider the sparrow. That today flies and tomorrow falls. God sees every sparrow that falls. God's going to care for you because you're of more value than the sparrow. And he looks out across the hillside and he sees a flock of sheep. And he looks at him and he says, now listen, fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Down through the ages, God has spoken to His church over and over and over. As He says, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That phrase right there, fear not. 
That phrase needs to be circled in your Bible. Because in order to understand why Jesus would say, fear not, you've got to understand that there is obviously a reason to fear. If you have to tell somebody not to be afraid, then evidently there is a reason for them to be afraid. If you've got to tell somebody not to worry, evidently there's a reason for them to worry. If you've got to tell them over and over, it's going to be okay, there's got to be something inside of their spirit that's telling them it ain't going to be okay. And he looks at them and he says, fear not. I want you to write down three things about that word fear. Number one, fear always follows a word from God. You will not be afraid if you don't do anything for God. Okay. I can see where we're going this morning. Let's go ahead, stop, clear us off a spot, and just say, if you don't do anything for God, you ain't got nothing to be afraid about. The reason that people in the world are not afraid of this and that and the only thing they're panicked over is money and the only thing they're panicked over is if their 401k is going to rise up but yet you and I are worried about X and we're worried about Y and we're worried about Z is because we're trying to walk with God and we're trying to follow God and we're trying to be obedient to God and whenever you follow the shepherd, honey, the wolves are going to bark and the demons are going to come. Whenever you try to follow God, that's going to chirp out after you over and over. That's what the devil does. Fear always follows a word. Listen to me. When you step out of your comfort zone, I promise you, that's when fear is going to come in your life. There are people in this room right now, you had a steady job, you had a steady life, had a steady income, and you had a desire to start a business. So you know what you did? You stepped out, and the first thing that hit you was panic, and fear and chaos. I'm going to starve to death. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my car. You weren't worried about losing your car back there. You weren't worried about losing your house back there. You weren't worried about losing your family back there because fear always follows a word. And this is the word that you need to put in your head. Whenever you are being made to feel afraid, you are walking in the plan of God. Whenever fear fills your heart, you're in the place where God wants you to be because the devil's trying to get you out of that place. Fear always follows a word. Number two, fear always attacks the mind. Watch what it says in verse number 29. Be ye of a, neither be ye of a doubtful mind. Have you ever thought about how fear works? Fear never shows you reality. It always shows you what might be. It never shows you what is. It always shows you what might happen. It never shows you the facts. It always shows you what could be the facts. And what fear tries to make you do is it tries to make you step backwards because it knows if you keep pushing forward, it can't stop you because fear attacks the mind. It gets your mind to racing. And beloved, I've got people in this room right now that are just like me. Your greatest blessing is your mind, but your greatest curse is your mind. How many of you are like me and your mind doesn't shut off? That's why we got to take pills to sleep at night. 
it won't shut down, will it? You just lay in there thinking about what you got to do the next day and how you can do better the next day and how you can accomplish the next thing the next day and how you messed up on this thing this day and how you go back and redo that this day and maybe if you go tomorrow and before you know it, it's 3 o'clock. And does anybody else have a, a hard time going to sleep before 4.30 when you got to be up at 6 but you ain't got no time, hard time sleeping from 5 to 6? You know why? Fear doesn't attack the hands. Fear doesn't attack the legs. Fear attacks the mind. Do you know why? Because the devil can't stop your hands. But your mind can stop your hands. The devil can't stop your legs. But your mind can stop your legs. The devil can't stop your heart. But your mind can stop your heart. That's why the devil will so overwhelm your mind with fear. What happens if? What happens when? It could be maybe. What do you think if that? And before you know it, that mind is erasing. And now you're saying, wait a second. If I reach out, if I step out, it and. Now the mind is controlling the feet. Now the mind is controlling the hands. Now the mind is controlling the heart. That's why the Lord Jesus did not say, Be ye not of a doubtful heart. He said, Be ye not of a doubtful mind. Number three, fear will always stay until it's vacated. Can I tell you something? Until you kick fear out of your life, it's going to stay. Until you tell fear it's got no place, it's going to reside. Until you tell fear it ain't got no house there, it ain't going to stay. Until you tell fear I'm not listening to you, it will abide in your house. Until you tell fear that I'm not listening to you, it's going to tell you what to do. Fear is like your mother-in-law. She's going to tell you what to do as long as you let her tell you what to do. But the moment you step back, the moment you step back and say, wait a second, this is my house. I'm paying the mortgage on this house. This insurance policy is in my name. Don't y'all sit there and look at me like your mother-in-law sitting beside you. I ain't Jared Robbins. My mother-in-law ain't on the same pew with me back here. Here's what I'm telling you. The devil is a lot like that. He's not paying for your life. He didn't mortgage your soul. He didn't tell you where you could go and what you could do. He didn't buy you. He didn't both you. He didn't bless you, but yet he's trying to have real estate and to live rent free in your head. Somebody ought to serve an eviction notice on the devil and say, you ain't got no place in my mind no more. You ain't got no place in my family anymore. You're not controlling what I do, controlling where I go, controlling what I think. I choose to walk with God. Because until you get a backbone and push through fear, it's going to live in you. Fear is not something that can be conquered by staying still. Fear can only be conquered by moving forward. Now I want to show you something about this. Tyler, what makes you think that we don't have to be afraid? What makes you think that it's all going to be okay? I'll give you three things. Number one, three reasons why Jesus said we don't have to fear. Because first and foremost, we have a saying. Look at what it says in verse number 32. 
He says, fear not. That word fear right there is the, he, the Greek word phobos. And it means to be alarmed and to seize up. It's got the idea of stopping in your tracks. It's got the idea of seizing up. It's got the idea of locking down. It's got the idea of not moving in a direction. It's got the idea of Xing the direction. Of saying, no, 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 I can't go that way. I can't make that step. I can't take that jump. I can't make that plunge. I can't have that decision. We've got to go this way. We've got to go that way. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus has looked you and I in the eyeball and he said fear not. He didn't say it's no, he didn't say you don't have anything to fear. He said fear not. He didn't say that the winds weren't blowing. He said fear not. He didn't say that the waves weren't raging. He said fear not. Jesus has given us a saying. He looks at you and he gives you a saying. He looks at you and he gives you a saying. He looks at you and he gives you a saying. This is not say fear not preach. This doesn't say fear not deacons. This doesn't say fear not uh, uh, bakers. It doesn't say fear not plumbers. It doesn't say fear not electricians. It doesn't say fear not if you got money. It doesn't say fear not if you know what's going to happen. It doesn't say fear not if you can figure it all out. It doesn't say fear not if you got it all together. It doesn't say fear not if you're white. It doesn't say fear not if you're black. It doesn't say fear not if a Republican's in office. It doesn't say fear not if a Democrat's in office. It doesn't say fear not as long as your world's together. It doesn't say fear not as long as things aren't shaking. It doesn't say fear not as long as everybody's with you. It doesn't say fear not as long as a few people are behind you. It doesn't say fear not as long as the seas open up. It doesn't say fear not as long as the Jordan's still rolling. It doesn't say fear not. It looks at you and it says it doesn't matter what the situation is. Fear not. It doesn't matter who likes it. Fear not. It doesn't matter where you go. Fear not. It doesn't matter who says what. Fear not. It doesn't matter how you think about it. Fear not. It doesn't matter what they think about it. Fear not. It doesn't matter what they say about it. Fear not. It doesn't matter how we believe it. Fear not. It doesn't matter how much money you got. Fear not. It doesn't matter what you think. Fear not. Ladies and gentlemen, your husband doesn't have to like what God's doing in your life. Your wife doesn't have to like what God's doing in your life. But the master looks at you and he whispers in your ear, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Fear not. He still cries. Fear not. Beloved, I would be lying to you If I didn't tell you that this world doesn't have a lot to be afraid of. I've got a lot to be afraid of. You've got a lot to be afraid of. The world's got a lot to be afraid of. Our families have got a lot to be be afraid of. Our nation's got a lot to be afraid of. Our kids have got a lot to be afraid of. People have got a lot. I'm not telling you there's nothing to be afraid of. I'm telling you, you've got to make the conscious choice to fear not, not to seize up, and to step backwards. You've got to say, fear not. Number two, the second reason we don't have to be afraid is not just because of the saying, but because we have a shepherd. Watch what he says in verse number 32. Fear not, little flock. You know, he doesn't look at them and he doesn't say, fear not people. He doesn't look at them and say, fear not Jews. He doesn't look at them and say, fear not to the people that I like or don't like. He calls them a little flock. You know what that means? It's the saying of a shepherd. He's reminding them that they are in the fold. 
that they belong to somebody. You know, a sheep is the only creature in the animal world that does not have a defense mechanism. A chicken can peck you. A chameleon can change colors. A dog can bite you. A cat can claw you. A whale can crush you. A rabbit can run from you. A cocker spaniel can lick you to death. I mean, you're just all types of things. But you know, a sheep has zero defense mechanisms. It can't outrun you. It can't bite you. It can't claw you. And it's not strong enough to overwhelm you. You know a defense mechanism? The only defense mechanism a sheep has? A shepherd. The only defense mechanism that Christians have, we don't fight with our words. We don't fight with weapons. We don't fight with bullets. We wrestle not against principalities, or we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. You realize the only defense mechanism that you and I have is the shepherd. If Jesus doesn't come to our rescue... We don't have, the devil will devour us. He'll devour us at home. He'll devour us in in our businesses. He'll devour us in our ministry. He'll devour Christians. He'll devour churches. He'll devour nations. That's what you're seeing in our nation right now. We've kicked the shepherd out. That's what you're seeing in so many churches right now. They've kicked the shepherd out. That's what you see in the lives of Christians right now. They've kicked the shepherd out. You can't walk in your own path and go your own way. You have to follow The shepherd. Sometimes it's a straight path. Do you ever envy people that just have normal lives? I do. I wish I had. Don't you wish you just had a normal life? How many of you wish you had a normal life? I don't know if there's anybody in here got a normal life then. Can I ask you, how many of you have been saved longer than five years? Okay, good. All right, watch me. How many of you thought when you got saved, your life would look a lot like this? If you thought, if you thought, if you thought your life was going to look like that when you got saved, raise your hand. rest of your line, don't look at me like that. You knew, you knew you thought that's what it was like when you got saved. How many of you have found that walking with Jesus looks a lot like this? And 10 years later, you feel further back than you were when you started. And before you know it, you're going this way. And right about the time you get back to where you started, you say, thank you, Jesus. I've learned what not to do. Now I can really walk with you. And you start walking along and you're lifting your hands. And before you know it, you've been slapped on one side. You've been kicked on the other side. And you're going right and you're going left and you're going forward and you're going backwards and you're going this side and you're going that side and you're moving in circles like this right here. And before you know it, you say, God, I'm not 
nearly as far as I thought I would be. But you know what you'll find when you walk with the shepherd? No matter how far you go that way or how far you go that way, if you stay with the shepherd, the shepherd still stays with you. And at the end of the day, the burden and the vision and the goal is not to get from point A to point B. It's to be near the shepherd. It's not to get to the finish line. It's to stay near the shepherd. It's not to get to the end. It's to stay near the shepherd. Honey, I remind you right now, I don't care if my life goes this way. I don't care if my life goes this way. I don't care if my life goes this way. As long as the shepherd is by my side, as long as I'm where I'm supposed to be and we're where we're supposed to be, it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there. As long as you stay with the shepherd, it's going to be okay. You know, how many of you think that you're a lot like me and at times in your journey, you change your name tag from sheep to shepherd? And all of a sudden, you think you're in control. You think you set your path. You think you walk the way you want to walk. Before you know it, something done hooked you. God has a way of reminding us that we're just a sheep and He's the shepherd. I want to tell you something right now. Tyler's not the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. Baptists are not the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. The president's not the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. The Democrats aren't the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. The Republicans aren't the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. Deacons aren't the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. The potentates are not the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. The Pope ain't the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. Staffing and people and Christians are not the shepherd. Jesus Christ is the shepherd. And you, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anybody it thinks about you as long as you're close to the shepherd you're going to be fine brothers and sisters fear not because you got a saying you got a shepherd and number three you get to the end of that verse and he says the third reason you don't have to be afraid is because of God's sovereignty watch what he says for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom Do you know what that means? It means that God in His grace wants to give you blessings more than you want to receive them. I can't fathom that. I cannot fathom that God wants to bless me more than I want to receive His blessings. God wants to pour out on my life more than I want to receive in my life. God wants to give me more than I want to receive. I don't fathom that until I became a father. When my Mason was born, I have never, ever, ever gone from self-centered to a moment thinking about one person and one person's goodwill. In one moment... My life went from what I can do for me to what I can do for him. Am I right about it? Yeah, I'm right about it. Every day of my life, I spend my time wanting to be better and do better so I can be a blessing to those that have my blood. 
That's what I work for. That's what I live for. I want to be a blessing. Man, I remember when I was a little boy, I was a little boy, my mama, I wanted a, y'all don't even know, y'all don't even know what suffering is until you've been a 12 Husky and got to walk around with a 12H right there on the back of your jeans. You don't know what suffering is. And I wanted to be a cool kid at 13 years old. And I wanted more than anything an Abercrombie and Fitch rain jacket. I was in the Boy Scouts and, and uh, we were taking a trip. We were going to sleep overnight at the USS Yorktown in Charleston, South Carolina. Back in the day, you could, Boy Scouts could go, I don't know if everybody could, but you, Boy Scouts could go and you could sleep in the barracks where the sailors used to sleep back in the war. And we went, and I wanted an Abercrombie and Fitch rain jacket more than I could ever, 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 ever tell you. And I asked my, my dad, that was a mistake. Don't ask your daddy. <laughs> I asked my dad, he said, oh, you, you'll, you'll, you'll grow out of it. Husky. That hurts, man. That hurts, boys. I'm telling you, that hurts. So my mother, the day we left was a Friday afternoon. And I remember this like it was yesterday. I can still tell you what the zippers, what color the zippers were. My mama had a bag, and it was an Abercrombie and Fitch bag. And she pulled out that jacket, and she handed it to me. Now, the price tag on that jacket was far more than what we could afford. And I'll never, ever forget why in the world would she spend that kind of money when I'm simply going to grow out of it? Why would she do that? I wanted a pair of Air Jordans more than you could breathe. I did, man. Do you remember, y'all remember back in the day, them black and white Air Jordan, Air Jordan 1s? I mean, you were not a cool kid until you had a pair of Air Jordans. I wanted those so bad, we never got them. And now I can't afford them. But boy, wouldn't I look stupid walking down the road in a suit and a pair of Air Jordans. <laughs> Why would my mother spend that kind of money on me? Because it was her good pleasure to give me what she could. Now I'm going to tell you something. That day... I could have been a spoiled brat. I could have pitched a fit when I packed my bag. I could have been a big old baby. And it probably would have kept me from getting that jacket. My son, he loves tennis shoes. And let me tell you something. I should have kept them Air Jordans that I could have got back there, invested in them, and sold them today. And I, my friend, would be living high on the hog. Say amen right there. My son cannot control what I get for him. But he has all the power with his attitude to determine if I give it to him. Am I right about it, mamas and daddies? Let me tell you something. You can't stop the blessing of God. But if you have a rotten attitude, you can sure hinder it. 
You get all bowed up on God and get all mad on God and walk around with a big pooch lip like God owes you something. I'm going to tell you something. You wouldn't give your young end something with that kind of attitude and God ain't going to do it for us either. But it's when my son gets that pair of tennis shoes and Brother Tim, he looks at me and he says, Daddy, thank you so much. Do you know what I'm already doing? I'm already thinking about what's the next thing can I give my baby. The Lord is the exact same way. When you are grateful for what you had and are respectful of who He is and are obedient to what He says, God says, it is my good pleasure to give you something else. It's my good pleasure to hand you another blessing. I guess I came this way this morning just to tell you, fear not. Fear not. It's going to be okay. God is still in control. 